0: Welcome to the Keegan Smith Experience. Let's see how far we can take this thing called life. I know you can feel the burning inside. I know you know there's more potential there. The question is how do we get to it? That's the big question. Of course there's more. Of course we can do more. Of course life can be better. Of course your body can go to another level. The question is what will it take? Real Movement Project is dedicated to answering that question. My life is dedicated to being an experience of that. How far can we go? How high can we go? What if we did it together? That's what this is about. If you want to know more about Real Movement Project, reach out, Keegan underscore Smith on Instagram. You'll find me there. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about where you want to go and how you want to get there that's what my life is about. On with the podcast. King Smith here. Continuing on a little bit from that conversation just a couple of days ago, the need to be more superficial, right? So this one is a, is a funny one and a controversial one in the context of modern society, right? Because we're taught to be inclusive and, you know, not bully people and all of these sorts of things. And obviously we want people to feel good about themselves. Now the trick is, do we want people to feel good about themselves with things that don't actually do them any good, right? So should we make someone feel good about themselves if they go out and crash the car every time they go out? Should we make someone feel good about themselves if they're a serial killer? Should we make someone feel good about themselves if... They go and break all the windows in the neighbor's you know, places. Obviously not. But if you turn those destructive behaviors on yourself and you eat foods that are not fit for human consumption, that lead to disease, that lead to obesity, that lead to poor mental function, should those people be cuddled and cajoled and said, you're good just the way you are? Now this is an interesting question, it's it's pretty absurd to say that you would praise and accept destructive behaviours when they're exhibited outwardly, but when they're inward, what do we do then? Now the solution is unlikely to be telling those people they're bad people and locking them up and you know doing those sorts of things, but that's what we actually do, that's what we do with people who go and break windows or people who go out and kill other people. We lock them up and we tell them they're bad people. Now, the criminal system is probably another you know, another conversation. The most free country in the world is the most imprisoned country in the world, the United States of America. I've got my issues with the way we approach rehabilitation. I do believe that people have the ability to live great and the environment is the biggest shaper of how people live. Food is one of the big factors in environment. So, is sun, so is air quality, so are the things that you read, so are the things that you listen to. So, if someone is exhibiting these self destructive behaviors towards themselves, should we accept them just the way they are, or should we help them to do something else? I would suggest the latter. So, rather than the answer being plus size models and you know, female body composition is a very different conversation to male composition as well because the ideal female body composition that's being put forward is one of an infertile female for the most part most female will lose their period or um, you know have scant uh periods you know the out of rhythm etc not always but mostly is the case with what's put forward as the, the ideal physique, whether it's with sports models or whether it's with you know, catwalk models or, or whatever. So I don't think this conversation is necessarily directly applied to females. Females should be curvaceous if they wish to be fertile and have the optimal bone health, etc. Past menopause or women not wishing to be fertile, it, it doesn't matter. You know, It doesn't, doesn't seem to make too much difference what they decide to do. But women who want to reproduce should have high enough levels of body fat to to do that and to do that, do that well. And that should really be the focus for any woman who plans to have a child in the future is to be in a good state to do that. And conversely, you know, before it gets all feminist, men should be doing the same. You want to be living as well to have as good a quality sperm as you can to be able to have healthy kids. And a lot of people only think about this once they get to the stage of, you know, they've gone through their 30s and been you know drugged and on all sorts of medications and rubbish through their 20s and then they get to their 30s or late 30s and they decide they want to have children and they realize they can't do it and then they they go and look for all sorts of different medical solutions and sometimes health solutions Um, but sometimes it's too late as well Um, and that's you know the fastest growing area of medicine is fertility treatment and there's a lot of money and a lot of sadness going into that area and yes there are miracles of uh, IVF babies and you know, it's a, it's a controversial one. It's a tough one. But, you know, we should be striving to have healthy offspring on our own in the same way that a horse breeder is breeding racehorses will breed the animals when they're at optimal health, we will try to get them to optimal health, and we will breed them when they're optimal health. Uh, once they get towards their, their last stage of mating, they're probably not going to have as good of viable offspring. You know, if you're talking about dog breeding, uh, you know there's, there's going to be runts there's a need for gaps in between uh, you know gestational periods to allow the animals to continue to have really high quality offspring all this stuff applies to humans as well but getting back to the, the point here today which is not so much around fertility it's around optimal body composition when you look at someone you can see how far they are from optimal body composition this is one of the best indicators of how healthy they are when you look at someone you can see how muscular they are this is also one of the best indicators of how healthy they are and how long they will live when you lose muscle and when you lose fat you uh, when you lose muscle and when you gain fat you approach death this is very very clear in research across you know all different diseases increased body fat is a risk factor for death uh, and decreased muscle mass is, an, is a risk factor for death. Once you lose a certain amount of muscle mass, you lose a certain amount of strength, then you will die. Uh, and this is a gradual decline that you know starts for a lot of people in their 20s and 30s. They're not resistance training. Uh, but yeah, get to a point where strength becomes very low and risk of death becomes very high. So this can be reversed by taking up resistance training later in life. But the stronger you are, in your youth and in your you know now i'm 36 i'm i'm only uh, just considered a youth now but the stronger we can be at this stage in life or earlier stages in life the more likely we are to be stronger later in life and the more muscle mass we're likely likely to hold on to so that superficial analysis of is this person fat do they have much muscle is a really good indicator of their life expectancy now to say it doesn't make them a bad person if they're you know, if they're poor in both of those tests, but it does mean they don't know how to live in a way that is optimal for their health and longevity, uh, for their fertility, and, you know, if you care about them, if you care about their families, if you care about their success in, in, in business, then it's going to make an impact. Healthy people can make good decisions, you know, people with stable blood sugar are much more likely to to make better decisions and to be able to operate in complex environments, complex situations. I've worked with some guys in special forces, snipers and stuff. They're very conscious of their blood sugar because (laughs) they need to be able to be very accurate with their thinking. Um, That same level of accuracy isn't probably, you know, something that most sports doctors and stuff are, are ready to go to yet to really understand blood sugar and understand insulin levels and, get down into the the depths of it but you know that's that's part of the problem here okay so you could say well you know people can be healthy and people can be unhealthy with uh, you can be unhealthy with low body fat you can be unhealthy with quite high level of muscle mass but the chances of that are, are much lower the odds are with you that if you have more muscle mass and less body fat and you're not using you know hormones and steroids and playing around with all sorts of weird stuff to get you there then your health outcomes are good okay so what are we the other you know what other tests could we use Well, like things like coronary artery calcium is a really good one if people are over 50 and they're worried about their their risk of dying with a heart attack uh, insulin levels is probably the best the best test so your fasting insulin level um, your glucose tolerance test so if you have hypoglycemia glycemia with your glucose tolerance test um, they're probably some of the best numbers that you can get much better than LDL and even CRP and some of those other ones. Um, but really like who's going to go and get them and, and, you know, yeah, if you, if you are, you know, if you, are, if your health is suffering and you need some, something objective to tell you, Hey, like go and sort your, sort your things out, then, you know, you should probably get that stuff done. Um, uh, but you know, a lot of the testing is not actually it's it, it's there's a lot of problems with it. If you're doing stool testing, you know it can be. It's a great idea to have a really healthy gut. Eli Menshikov said, "Death begins in the gut." I don't know if the rooster just made the podcast, but he's crackling away there. He, you know, death begins in the gut goes back a long way. The ancient Greeks were saying something similar, but we don't really know exactly how to measure that yet. We can measure gut you know, flora, but there's there's also research there saying that if you retest a day later, if you retest you know, even on the same day, you could get a completely different result with a different stool. So the same person could have healthy gut bacteria in one and unhealthy gut bacteria in another test back to back. So what does that mean? Well, we don't know. So, you know, I've done I've done a lot of the, you know, courses and delved quite deeply into functional medicine and I've done functional, functional diagnostics nutrition course and I've done the Australian sort of... Uh, functional medicine course and it's very interesting stuff but I think the biggest conclusion is that we, we don't really know a lot and then you know now if the, the carnivore diet and a lot of people sort of speaking about amazing results when they eliminate plant foods like it's just you know people aren't getting scurvy like what we knew about nutrition is basically just being torn up and thrown out the window because what we knew to be true about scurvy is, is not true. People are not consuming vitamin C and they're not getting scurvy. So, um, you know, vitamin C is not essential in the way that, it, that, it, you know, we thought about it. Maybe we're recycling it and you know, there's some different theories about what's actually going on there. I'm not saying vitamin C doesn't exist in the body but we, we just don't know and and a lot of this stuff we just don't know the the gut flora you know people are proposing that carnivore diet will damage the gut flora but then there's people getting stool samples and it comes back completely normal despite not eating not taking probiotics and not eating foods that would be thought would be needed to sustain certain you know microbiome that that are actually seeing so we don't know what we do know is if people carrying excess body fat, then they have a higher risk of death. If people carrying, uh, low levels of muscle mass, then they have a higher risk of death. So let's, let's deal with that. Like they're the big rocks. Um, sleep quality is, is huge as well. Skin quality. Like these are the things that tell us if someone's healthy or not. So just being more superficial with, or does someone look tired all the time? Are they struggling, you know, with their, with their energy and concentration, uh, what you know what's their body composition look like how's the skin that tells us a lot and so you know if i put myself under this microscope like yeah i've felt that pressure of like yeah i'm not as lean as i would be if i had optimal health and i know that i haven't had optimal health i've had health challenges you know all through my life and i've been looking hard for solutions since sort of late 20s but you know i started following the sports dietitians guidelines and such when I was 16, like I stopped eating ice cream and butter and, you know, cut out the fats and all those sorts of things thinking that I was doing the right thing. You know, now I know that it was more of a castration thing and I definitely became, you know, intolerant to sugar, whether I was pre-diabetic or, you know, diabetic, I don't really know, but I had to sit down because my blood sugars were way off, you know, a, a number of times. So, yeah, you know, I've been trying to find solutions to these things and, and experimenting with things for a long time. And, you know, you might've done this as well. You might've, you might go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm chubby, but I've tried that thing. I bought that gym membership. I did that program. I followed that diet. You know, I, I fell off when I did this one and didn't fall off when I did that one. And you might go, well, this is just me. Like I'm just, you know, I'm big boned or whatever. And I, I don't buy that. I don't think it's the case. I think when you get it right, men are meant to have meant to be lean and strong you know the ancient greeks revered that and they stood by it and they you know put that forward as as an image of health Um, certainly you know holding muscle mass is a is a sign of you know masculinity and virility now what's then optimal you know the the poliquin message and he's been a huge influence on on my life and definitely sort of thoughts around body composition, basically called anyone over 10% of fat fuck. So if you're over 10%, then you're, you're far from optimal. And it makes sense because he was in the elite sporting world where power to weight ratio is everything. If you can drop dead weight, then you automatically increase power to weight ratio and therefore you have a better athlete. So if he can offend an athlete to the point where the athlete doesn't want to be offended anymore, and they decide not to be a fat fuck, then their power to weight ratio is going to increase, and that's going to mean more medals. And ultimately, that's that's what you know Charles's legacy is that he had more medalists and you know worked with more Olympic athletes than any strength coach in history. And body composition was a huge, huge part of, of what he did and what he delivered. So, if you want to be a successful strength coach, or if you want to be a successful athlete, there is an ideal body composition for every performance. Now you can pull out the outliers, and you go, "Well, yeah, this guy's this guy's fat, and this guy's short, and this guy's not so muslu- muscular." There are always going to be outliers, but they're within a range, so you can only be an outlier to a certain extent. And I've spoken about this on previous podcasts, but you know, you there, there may be a jockey that's you know sixty-eight kilos, or sixty-four kilos, or sixty-two kilos, um, when the average guy's forty-seven or fifty-two but there won't be one at 105, right? So, you know, there may be a, a – uh, Luke Keery an outlier in, in rugby league. You know, he's not very heavy for his position, but he's not 65 kilos. He's not 42 kilos. He's not 48 kilos, right? So there's a range of acceptability. You can be on the limit of that range. To be on the limit of the range, you'll have to be exceptional in another area. you have to be exceptional in skill. you have to be exceptional in power, speed, decision-making, you know, psychology, whatever it is that – They'll be exceptional and make up for it in another area if they're performing well despite their body composition or despite being an outlier. Now, when you go to pure performance sports, something like sprinting, you just there is no opportunity to compete if your body composition is not spot on. You know, you won't see someone lining up in the hundred meters who has a body composition of twelve percent body fat. It's just way too fat it's way too fat, you know, you might in Australia, but you won't at a world championships, you don't see people uh, who get to that level, you just you just cannot do it, you can't throw the shot put without massive level of muscle mass, you'll need a muscle number over 100, probably most of those guys have over 110, maybe over 115, you know, once you start to get into the question around hormone supplementation, people can have muscle numbers, you know, well beyond what would otherwise be be possible, Um, Someone told me Eddie Hall's muscle number is like 162. If you want to calculate your muscle number, you can do that on the Real You app. Basically, it's uh, your uh, functional mass index. It's your normalized functional mass index times by four. But it gives you a number where 100 is basically like the, what's considered like the natural limit of muscle mass for most people. So if you get to 100 without using performance enhancing drugs, you've done exceptionally well you're in you're in the you know a high percentile uh if you get to 110 which i know a couple of guys that are 110 and i'm pretty sure they haven't used doping then you've you know you've got great genetics and you've worked really hard Um, but yeah if that, that gives you an, a guide and a range if you're at 85 or something like that then you're probably relatively untrained as far as strength goes like you can probably at least get into the 90s i've worked really hard uh, in the gym for a long time probably not really smart and probably underlying health issues that you know got in the way of my my progress and underlying knowledge gaps so i'm in the low 90s in my in my muscle number um, and yeah, I'm still interested to see if I can increase that. Generally, people would say 36. You're starting to go past your peak as far as natural muscle development goes. But we'll see. You know, there's there's no general data doesn't apply to individuals. It, it's it's useful to understand to a point, but it doesn't say what's going to happen in my specific circumstance. You know, with with using sauna, with using amino acids, with using uh, certain training protocols uh, with you know doing carnivore with whatever like there's no study that's ever gonna fully nail down exactly what an individual circumstances are. so bottom line is those superficial measures are the best measures. You can take someone's cortisol levels and their testosterone levels and they're this and they're that you can get right into the weeds with it. And that may be necessary to solve the problem, but you can pretty much know where someone is at based on those superficial measures of how much muscle mass they're holding and what's their body body fat, you know, composition. So it's a it's a simple method of evaluation, but it's a very effective one if you want to improve athletic performance and improve health outcomes. Sure, then go into sleep quality. Sure, then go into other things mood and uh, energy and and such they're good things to evaluate but if we were more superficial in saying well look this person does not know how to live in a way that perpetuates life in a way that optimizes performance in a way that optimizes fertility um, and if, if we're able to sort of be more honest and open about that and and move towards solutions you know we would be in a better world in a better place so in the last podcast i spoke more about what some of those solutions might be Uh, it is possible to change body composition quickly it's possible to change body composition slowly some people say you have to do it slowly to make it sustainable for a lot of people that doesn't work a lot of people they need to make a strong decision back that strong decision with action and then they'll have an experience of of discipline and of progress that they can follow for a long time if you tell people just change your breakfast or just change you know what you drink but then you know they might they may use a lot of willpower and make that one change but not really see a, a result not really see a change so yes that step-by-step approach can be really good and some people will find that to be effective other people will need to just draw a line in the sand and take action and take extreme action. Uh, And that is, I guess, part of the reason why the carnival diet has been so successful. Uh, Things like protein sparing, modified fast. uh, You know, the research goes back on that for many decades and it's an extremely successful method for losing body fat without losing muscle mass. Uh, I think it should be more prominent than the fasting mimicking diet and more prominent than fasting because you can actually live well at the same time you can build muscle mass um, or at least hold on to muscle mass um, and keep your keep your organ mass and all those sorts of things you know it is a dangerous game to play with losing organ mass and to play with losing muscle mass and and people say that you don't lose organ mass and you don't lose muscle mass but my experience is that you do with fasting i think the leaner you are the harder it is metabolically, maybe the worse you are physiologically as well, the harder the fasting is. I'm not saying don't fast, it can have a place. Uh you know short fasts, you know, 24, 36 hours or less, no, no big deal. But longer fasts, you know, they're that's strong medicine. That's something that should be approached uh with with caution and with, with care and with attention and know that fasting is not the solution. Fasting will help you to move towards a solution, but then you have you actually have to eat. So you know it's not something that you can stick with. It's it's less sustainable than a high protein approach, like the pro you know the uh, protein sparing modified fast. Um, I'll link anyway to if you go to roominproject.com I'll post a blog post about this this topic today. It gives you a few more resources and a few links. Uh, including how to calculate if you would like to do the protein sparing modified fast something that i've played around with a bit it's it works very very well Uh, it's quite easy much easier than fasting uh, and, and very effective but uh yeah i think we need to pull the balance back here a little bit if someone's fat then they've got room to improve on health doesn't make them a bad person but doesn't mean they should be celebrated for it either we're not going to celebrate people going around breaking all the windows, so we shouldn't be celebrating destructive, self-harming habits. You know, advertising will tell us to do that. Advertising will tell us that there's a lot of joy in a, in a you know box of fast food, uh, but it's 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 not the case. It's a short-term thing, and then you feel ashamed of it. It doesn't improve your health, doesn't improve your energy. So, what's the better way? That's the question that's the question that we should continue to answer um that's it optimal for men under 10 percent probably more like six to eight i haven't really been able to sustain six to eight percent i do feel as though i will be more valuable to the world in that six to eight percent range why because i'll be more confident of helping other people achieve body composition goals people will be more confident of my you know progress and process um, I will be more athletic, power to weight ratio is higher, jumps higher, etc. Uh, and you know same on the side of the muscle number. If I have a 95 muscle number in that 6 to 8% range, um, it becomes you become more of an outlier. People are interested in outliers. A lot of people follow you know people who are who are using steroids and they they look amazing in well they you know they look exceptional they they're, they're massive outliers they have huge amounts of muscle mass very low body fat and people are inspired by what they do. Now the problem is that the methods that they're using are not necessarily legal or um, they're not uh, easily applied by their audiences. So it's actually not very useful information. It kind of distorts people's perception of reality and what's possible. So there more people who can achieve great results naturally. That's something that is more accessible to the majority, but you still got to be an outlier. you got to be an outlier in performance. If you're going to be sitting in the middle, you're not going to inspire people. You have to do things on the extreme. Shit things happen on the extremes. You know, bad things happen on the extremes. People die on the extremes different you know extreme political thought extreme diets extreme whatever there's risk that happens there but it's also where the great stuff happens you know martin luther king was uh, had an extreme message at his time and Gandhi, and you know che Guevara and you know these people had extremes and whether you agree with their message or not it's on the extreme that powerful things happen you know arnold schwarzenegger has lived on the extremes and everybody knows his name so i would challenge you so be a little bit more extreme and go towards optimal, go towards what's best. You're not gonna have many optimal days. There are gonna be a lot of days where you don't achieve what you what you set out for. You know, you're gonna be one you know calorie off here or there, you're gonna be one gram off, you're gonna be one food off, you're gonna have a nibble on something that wasn't as part of the plan, you're gonna miss a few reps on your training, or you're gonna get up ten minutes late, or you're gonna whatever. There's pretty much always going to be something that's just not quite right. The less of that, the better. And the you know, the more consistent you can be, but then your standards become higher, and then you're still gonna miss. So, you know, that 97% failure podcast, I think, is one that's resonated with a lot of people. Like 97% of the time, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna do what you what you wanted to do. But if you're aiming and if you're going towards that and you only just miss it, then eventually you get the big reward. There's a few days where you feel like, yeah, that was great. Like I really put it all together today. It's not really about those days. It's about all the other days where you don't quite make it, but you strive and you get pretty close. So that's us. Be more extreme. Optimize muscle mass. Optimize fat mass. Quantify those things. Know your numbers. Help other people do the same. The world will be a better place. Talk to you soon. That's a wrap for today some powerful stuff there. If you enjoyed it, send me some feedback, give it a share on social media. If you're serious about this and you want to implement on the back of this, then Real Movement Project is the place to be. I don't know of anything like it. I don't know of anyone who's pushing things to the level that we are training, mind, nutrition, and a community of people who are making projects happen to change the world that's what it's about. If that's what your life is about, or you wish your life would be more purposeful and more directed and taking you to another place, reach out, Keegan underscore Smith. I'll talk to you soon.